like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years. Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tencatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. Welcome to Five After Midnight. It's a new show where we talk about the things the way you would around a sleep-deprived kitchen table. When you've run five or more calls after midnight, your brain feels half gone, and you and your crew have absolutely no filter. Just pure honesty. The goal of this series is to kick around the small things that really aren't so small and have a big impact in the way our firehouses function. My name is Stephanie. I'm genuinely not an expert at anything. I'm just here to ask the sometimes awkward questions. Enjoy. Well, I am joined today by my guest, Chris Fields. Um, those of you in the peer mental health world will recognize that name. But if you are not in that world, that might not be a name that's familiar with you at all. So Chris, I want you to go ahead and just right off the bat, introduce your organization and what it is that you do. And then we'll get into a little bit more. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Chris Fields. I'm part of uh, the organization. I'm you talking about, talking about trauma behind the badge. It's a, uh, it's a uh, four guys or five guys that uh, all retired first responders uh, with some, some of them with military experience and what we do is, man, we just take care of first responders and vets and everything that are seeking any help for uh, issues. Um, we just believe that a first responder or a uh, veteran's life is not to be compromised, you know. And we do whatever it takes to, to get them where they need to be. And Chris, you retired from Oklahoma City with 31 years of service, 30 years? Uh Yes, I was hired July twelfth of nineteen eighty five. That's a long. We time won't ago. mention where I was. I did. <laughs> it was ten days before yeah, I was born. Don't. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, probably you, you may not have been born, but uh, yeah, I did thirty one years and seven months, and I retired uh, March first of two thousand seventeen was my was my last day. So I've been retired just a little over six years. Hmm. Well, Chris, the reason that that I reached out to you was you have a story that all of us, despite not knowing your name, actually know a little about. Um, if you especially grew up in the nineties, which, which I did. And that is right. working for Oklahoma city during that time period, you were a first responder to the Oklahoma city bombing and you were the firefighter in that very iconic picture that we have all seen holding that small child right after that domestic terrorism act and um that's something that 
I think is is very specific to especially kids growing up in the 90s because that was the first time I think any of us had seen such an attack on on our our homeland soil you know we we saw it overseas right. and we we never thought it would happen here so that was something that I think stuck in a lot of my generation's mind but something that I think um, is very unique to you and to your story is that you were one of the first, I think, and one of the few to experience a level of trauma that I think we're just now starting to experience, which is the memories can now follow us everywhere because there are pictures and there are social media and there are video. And unlike the past, these things aren't going away. And you had that bizarre experience in your life because that picture that picture went far and wide it went everywhere um and what I really wanted to talk about today was how do you handle something like that that's such a unique experience yeah it uh it was a uh, very unique experience and I often when I when I when I get the opportunity and uh blessed to go speak somewhere or if I'm doing a podcast or whatever always mention even for for all the responders for that for that day in 1995 what was um what was unique about it was the fact that we all and you know everybody goes through this around the country that makes you know uh, significant calls uh, especially locally you know we had to, we relived it every day for months on with the television coverage um, and and rightfully so it deserved every minute of the coverage the victims did and and uh the families but it was unique that you could not even as a responder you know a month even after the building was imploded and everything you're still you're still taken back to that day at least not not on even if not in your own memories it's it's put in front of you every day on the on the media you know in the media on local news and stuff like that so it was unique for everybody in in that aspect um as, as far as the photo of me and bailey you know i think the first time we talked initially we talked about the uh you know if there had been social media back then like there is now um i just can't imagine i cannot imagine the the results of that but um it is very unique that uh um it is something I, I, I was talking with my oldest son the other day, and I made the comment. I said, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm blessed from that photo. I get the opportunity to speak to first responders. That's where I get my platform. It's not my whole story. But I told him, I said, you know, it's something I just had to accept. I will, I, you know, I, I, I guess that photo will follow me until the day they put me in, the, you know, put me in the ground, mm. um, which is, is, um, something it's kind of amazing to think about but you know it didn't come without its struggles and and not just all the trauma from the job and the trauma from the bombing but the trauma of that photo and seeing it all the time and you know what people were thinking about it and all that um one of the things that's really helped me though is i'm, I'm good friends with uh aaron almond that uh the baby i was holding was bailey almond and aaron is her mother um, still good friends, stay in contact with Aaron and, and her family. Uh, she's had two more children since then, and we've always stayed in touch. And uh, we had a our, our public information officer at the time was Chief John Hansen, um, passed away a couple of years ago from cancer. Uh, 
but he was like a man he was like a wall for me through all that because i didn't know how to i mean i'd never done i never spoke in front of more than just my guys and girls at the station until after that you know after that photo came out i was really struggling with the being singled out and all that and he just put it he just told me he said hey man you're getting you're getting the opportunity to represent the fire service not the oklahoma city fire the fire service he said that photo he said you're representing every first responder that was on the call that day no matter what agency they're affiliated with and bailey is representing every victim and the innocence that was lost that day so that's kind of you know how i kind of look at it and like you said most people don't know you know you say chris fields firefighter there's like okay he's a firefighter named chris fields but when they talk about the photo so that kind of that kind of helps you know it's not like uh it's about chris fields it's about that photo and what it represents so it's made it a little easier to uh to, to handle and to deal with and like i say then i get this platform to speak from that and i have the blessing of aaron allman bailey's mom to, to use that photo and do it so mm. one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you about that photo in this way is i um i had a really bizarre experience probably about two years ago now where i i ran a call that um young kid ran away and ended up committing suicide pretty grotesquely and, and the family obviously found him after a while and they were on scene and mm-hmm. leaning in in the cop car window getting this this young child's information I had my phone in my pocket and I didn't I didn't think twice about it and after the call and the call actually ended up being right near where at the time I lived and I have young children and um oh. just I, phone big brother being what it is it i guess overheard the entire conversation between me and the police officer getting name date of birth everything and when i opened my social media later in that day it had all that information all the articles about that young child at the top of my news feed and it was a completely different experience because we run these calls we see this sadness, um, we see the family, we see the devastation, but then we go off the call and we kind of, we have our, our routine for de-escalating. But now this was an entirely new new element to it that I, I in no way, shape, or form was prepared for. I wasn't prepared for my social media device, not news, not even news, just logging on to Facebook, expecting to see funny memes and first day of school pictures and and I'm confronted with the call that I just ran and it triggered something inside me that I was not prepared for. It really humanized a call that in that moment I had actively put my normal safeguards up to handle the parents and the scene and all that. Um, How did you personally handle that part of it? The just, seeing it i know you just talked about the picture and what it represents but you had to have i'm sure built in some different safeguards after going through that experience i did and you know i'll be honest with you i just really other than uh i, I did my best to av- avoid it i guess i would say for quite a while uh, other than if 
somebody called about doing an interview. You know, if Aaron was doing an interview, I'd do it with her. Um, but it, I think it was just, it was a difficult time. And like I said, it was, um, I really did my, like I said, did my best to avoid it. But like you, we still, um, and that was just a little different. There wasn't the normal, um, there wasn't the normal uh, dark humor and the stuff we, you know, gallows humor that we use uh, to help deflect, which is, to me, I always say this, I don't want people to take it wrong. That's perfectly fine. That's just what we do. It's how we cope, you know, especially in a 24-hour shift so you can get ready for the next call, right. you know. That's just one of, our, one of our coping mechanisms. But for that, not just that photo, but for the, for the Oklahoma City bombing, and maybe because it was so violating, homegrown and lit. Right. There wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of that. Um, the the local media here was pretty sensitive to to not showing that photo a whole lot. National media and you know, of course, they they don't live here, so it doesn't affect them as personally. So it was uh, it got thrown up all the time. And I and I'll be honest with you, every time I saw that photo come up, my main my first thought would be, I wonder if Aaron's seeing this. Mm. I wonder if Aaron's watching this newscast. I wonder. That's like the first time I even saw the photo the, the next morning. I didn't find out about the photo till 11 o'clock that night, the night of the bombing. I didn't see it for the first time until the next morning. Of course, I didn't know Aaron then. I didn't know her name was Bailey. I didn't know any of that. But my first thought when I saw that photo splashed on the newspaper and all the magazines, I, was, I wonder if that family even knows that that's their child, that the child's deceased, you know? That, that was kind of my first thought. So really, that's what ate at me the most uh, and was part of my trauma journey was I was so concerned about every time they showed that because, uh, you know, Aaron was a 20-year-old mother that lost her only child. And that would be my first thought every time was, I wonder if Aaron's seeing this. I wonder if Aaron saw that magazine or saw this article or or saw this story on the national news. So, um, and it was just a... It was like we always do, Stephanie. I just put up that, you know, that that mask and acted like I was good to go. And that's just that's just how I coped with it. I just uh, deflected it and put the mask on and went to work and and acted like uh, uh, everything was good. And inside, it was just eating me up. I went earlier today because I was trying to remember what year that. The Oklahoma City bombing was and all I did was mm -hmm. Google Oklahoma City bombing and I think that was about the fifth picture down um, right and it just it's like you said the national media did not care and it was out there and it was <laughs> it was everywhere um, so you you went through this experience and you kind of had to figure mm -hmm. out a, a brand new blueprint essentially because Mental health was not a thing in the 90s. Um, you know, some places might have had SISM teams. And those, right. uh, I, I was introduced to those when I joined the fire department in the very early 2000s. Good intentioned, not the best model in the world. So you probably had to put together your own blueprint for how to handle that. Is that what you've gone and taken on into the organization that you now are involved in? Yeah, you know, and that's that's pretty accurate. You know, of of the '90s, it was um, 
yeah, we know we had our own um, either CISM or CISD team, whatever they were called, you know. Um, it was not – the term peer support wasn't used. And like I say, it was so new. It was uh, it was just so new that everybody didn't know, I guess, how to I, – I don't know. It was kind of an unorganized chaos, I guess I would say, you know, trying to get a CISM team together and then uh, – and peer support, I love the way peer support's kind of taken over and and everybody's more comfortable with, with maybe talking to their peers. But the CISM team, you know, it's um, we had a few issues in the beginning with ours that uh, some of the guys would spill. After the bombing, we, had, we were, after each shift, we had to go through a debriefing um, before we went back to the station. And there's a few stories that leaked out from the debriefing from our own people so that's when everybody kind of shut down you know <laughs> that was that was kind of into that deal um and everybody didn't know who was on the cism team you know now everybody knows who peer support people are and all that so it was just kind of a and the city did and the fire department did everything they knew to do at that time so I, you know there's no you won't hear me saying you know I, I don't feel like i was betrayed by the fire department which is and the police department, which is pretty common these days, you know, uh, organizational betrayal and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they did everything they knew to do. It was just, it was just a new, new thing. And that's exactly why, uh, myself and my, my uh, other buddies, uh, do what we do is to spread the word about Trump in our position. And, and you can vouch for this, in our profession, not our position, in our profession, there is no way you will not be exposed to trauma. You can't avoid it. Right. And and it's maybe not necessarily the trauma that brings you down or gets you. It's how you carry that trauma. And so I think we just like to spread the word, tell our stories that, you know, you will experience trauma and it's okay. And every feeling that you're going to feel physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever feeling you come up with is, is perfectly a human, normal, normal human reaction. You know, that's just how we're wired. Um, I think I'd be more worried about the person that makes a, has a 25, 30 year career and has no emotions at all. <laughs> you know, I think I would be a little more worried about them than I would the one who the trauma does affect them. But like I say, it's just the different ways to carry that trauma and cope with that trauma. How do you think we can teach this new technology generation? Um, so, I, I mean, I use this example when talking about kids and bullying. It used to be, you know, we ran home, closed the front door, and if you wanted to get a hold of me, you had to go through whoever answered the phone, an older sibling, my parents. <laughs> like, you, you had to have the kahunas to call somebody's house up to continue bullying them. And it's right. the same kind of thing now. So calls are following us social media, um, media, phones listening in, we cannot get away from it. How do we teach people to put the safeguard in place? Because we all have this just diabolical curiosity, right? Where we we see a Mm -hmm. hint of something that we were just involved in and we get really curious about it. So we continue to look. And the damage that that can do um, is... You know, I don't think we think about it until we're 
we're deep in the mire of, okay, why did I just do that? Now I've humanized something. What safeguards would you say we should put in place to modify that behavior? Because we all have that dark curiosity. How do we save ourselves from ourselves when it comes to that? Right. Um, Golly, uh, I don't know if there's really any, because everybody is so, so different. I don't know if there's any safeguards you can really put put in place, but I, you know, you'd have to tell somebody just don't do it. If, if well, yeah, well, I would say if it just like anything, if it affects you negatively, you know, and you know that, you've got to you've got to be able to just not look at it. And if it does, or if you feel like that does help you, have somebody that you know you can call and talk to about it, or. You know, and like you said, with all these, with all the technology anymore, there's so many anonymous sources out there you can reach out to, you know, and, and talk to people. Uh, you know, there's like people do counseling now on the, you know, over Teladoc and Zoom and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I wouldn't necessarily maybe not encourage them not to look, but I may maybe say, uh, you know, have a have a plan in place just like you know when you travel you know you, everybody's got your emergency contact everybody's got this knows how to get hold of you here's who they call if you know you probably have an emergency contact when you if if stephanie's in a car wreck call this person or you know, when you go to the doctor who's your emergency contact um i think everybody should just have a list like that of who you would call or who you need to call if something if something triggers you because like i say social media is so so prevalent it does not it's intrusive. I, you, you you can you can try to avoid something, and you're going to see it. Hmm. You know, you can you can try to avoid something, and you're going to see it. And there's an article about it, or there's a a picture or a headline about it. It doesn't matter where you turn. Right. So I would say it was just one of them deals. If you, you know, if you if you know it's going to trigger you and affect you negatively, um, then you just have to you just have to avoid it. But if not, if you feel like you you need to see it. You need to process it. You need to read it or feel it or whatever that is to you. That make sure you have you know a plan in place if it does trigger you. Mm. That would be my advice. It's so crazy because I think, especially any kind of trauma, we uh, we don't know what a person looks like half the time. And, and right. to me, I think that's been a new level of of shock. Is seeing people in the state that we find them in and going about our day. And then we suddenly, you know, we see what they looked like as a, as a happy, normal human being. And that's, that's a completely different type of humanization that we're not used to, you know, it it appears on the. Right. And, and yeah. And, and that's, what's crazy about the, the social media world. If you, if you, uh, of course, you know, like I'm on 80s or what, even I think I had a pager on here with cell phones, but it was a, uh, but now, you know, and like I said, everything is just thrown in our face through social media, regular media, you know, there's local news, national news, uh, and it's different in the fact, too, that if you made, um, oh, I'll throw out a car wreck, you make a fatality car wreck, and if you happen to get their names, depends on where you're involved with in the incident. You know, as an officer, I would be gathering information, so I might know their name. 
even if not, even if you see it on the news, a fatality car wreck, and they give the name of who passed away, now you can just, if you want to, you go to Facebook and hit Facebook just to look mm -hmm. them up to see who they were and what they got. And you find out, man, here's this great, you know, dad of three daughters, and um, he did all these charitable stuff, and he was this great dad, and he was, you know, killed by some drunk driver, you know. So, I mean, it's just, it does, it opens up so many more uh I would say triggers, I guess, that if you go down that road to where, you know, 1990, I make a car wreck, fatality car wreck, you may see it on the news, you may not, uh, but then, you know, there's no really way to follow up, you know, uh, that was just how it was. But now there's so many avenues to, uh, um, to look people up and to find out, you know. You make a full arrest. You used to, we used to load them in the ambulance. The ambulance take them to the hospital. We'd never know whether they, you know, ended up living or dying, unless we called the specifically called the hospital to follow up. Well, now shoot, all you got to do is Google up a name. <laughs> It'll tell you if they're, you know, deceased or not. And uh, so it's just a, it is. It's a totally, it's just a totally, totally different world. I think this. <laughs> Crazy. sterilization is gone I, I was taught when i first came in don't don't follow up on your patients unless it's some weird yeah. bizarre call and you know then curiosity takes over but otherwise i, right. I never had my officers who followed up on anything you know they, they didn't want to know and you could keep that work humanity obviously there's some calls where you just can't uh, you can't avoid the human interest side of it and right and that takes over but they really taught you to be so sterilized with it. And we're just, we're melding these, these you know, two and, worlds now. Right. You know, and, and I don't, I don't mind the, you know, like the being sterile and you got to learn to pack it away. So you can be ready for the next call. But we do have to say, yeah, we need to do that. But we also need to be able to know that you can talk about it if you want to, you know, now you make back to back to back to back calls. Of course, you know, you're putting it in a place where you can keep doing your job. If there comes a time and a place, it needs to be where everybody needs to know that they can they can talk about it. And it's tough to be totally keep a totally sterile environment because I believe personally, this is Chris Fields' belief. When you do the job we do, you have to have a heart for this job. You have to have a heart to do this job. That's true. Um, if you're if you're an old crusty hearted person or thing, it's gonna be a it's gonna be I mean Long career. you're gonna yeah so I think I love I I, I mean, this gonna sound weird I don't want to say I love when guys and girls that work for me were affected by a call that's not what I mean to say but shows that they still have a heart I'm glad that, I'm glad that they have I'm glad that they have a heart and they show empathy and sympathy and you know. Um, you make a call with a, a mother and two little girls, maybe the two little girls on scene. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that heart and that compassion in, in for this job because that's the people. Because man, I hate nothing. I hate worse than uh, I hate horrible bedside manner on a call because I, I just I don't care. It, it, man, I've, I've, I don't ever, I've never written anybody up when I was on a job. I never, but I've. Only a few times I've ever pulled a firefighter that worked for me in my office to say, hey, I, I appreciate you. You don't want to get involved. And you're trying to be this. 
but your bet, I, the bedside matters on these people because they try to remain so sterile and disconnected from the call is just to me it's 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 horrendous so um it's it's uh, and that's changed you know when i got on in 1985 it was the you know i was raised by some tough old smoke eaters you know and uh and it wasn't that they were callous hearted or uh didn't have empathy that's just the way they were raised on the fire service you know that's just the way it was and um i see that you know that's changed quite a bit but uh yeah it, it is different and it's hard not to uh like you said it's hard not to want to know uh because we are human the curiosity takes over and then the compassion and the, and the heart for the job you do takes over so it's a it's a hard act to balance i think we're at such a tipping point right now because so when my generation came in it was very much I mean my, my first officer one of my first officers let me know hey if you need to talk to somebody about these calls you're in the wrong line of work and that was the mentality for the first maybe five to seven years of my career and then we've really started to have a switch between the generations. I feel like, and I know every mm-hmm. generation before me has said this, so I'm falling into that sin. Um, but there's such a difference <laughs> between myself and the newer generation coming in, uh, not bashing them in any, anyway, but they're right. more in touch with um, feelings and thoughts and, and emotions. Right, they're more open to talk. They yeah. really, yeah. really, really are. So I'm so curious to see what peer teams are going to look like over the next five to seven years. And if we're going to have to come back and say, hey, you know, talking about our feelings is great and amazing and having a healthy mindset and treating the brain just like an ankle. If you sprain your brain, go take care of it. If you see something absolutely abnormally devastating talk to somebody about it but remember that we are in the business of seeing these things and there we do need to to tuck that away in the back of our mind of you know it's going to be interesting to watch that line being straddled of yeah and, and there's always and you know and it doesn't matter what it is firefighters are find a way to run about anything you know um, that's, that's what I've always said, truth. you know, a restaurant, a restaurant gives you a discount. You let some, uh, some guy go in there and he's in his uniform shirt on his day off just to get a half off of a hamburger, you know, and that'll end up running it for everybody. And that's what, but there's always going to be those. Yeah. There's always going to be those that, you know, want to, I don't say take advantage of, but you know, you got a, you got a guy or a girl who's coming back and needing two mental days cause they went on a spider bite call. You know, I mean, you're going to have those ones that, that, uh, that want to, you know, just see how far they can push it. And we had a chief one time, we were going to go speak at a deal. Uh, uh, this was several years back. I was uh, going to go speak at a deal by myself in a small area in Louisiana. And uh, the chief didn't want us, didn't want me to come speak. Told his union, no, I don't want to come speak. He said, because once he comes speaks, everybody will be lined up saying they got the PTSD and they need off. I'm going, well, it's not like the flu. You don't catch it, you know. It's uh, And you don't find that many people 
line enough to publicly say, hey, this this is affecting me mentally, you know? So, uh, yeah, it, it runs the gamut of, of, like you said, you had one officer tell you, you know, if you feel like you need to talk about calls and you're probably in the wrong line of work, to ones that probably, you know, take it too far the other way. Uh, but they talk about every, you know, after every call, no matter the severity, we're going to come back and talk about, you know, that'll that'll drive people away from wanting to talk about a call bothering them also. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, thank you so much for having this conversation. Um, you clearly had to master resiliency back in 1995 in order to be able to continue on. Give me two things that to the new guy or growl or even the older guy and gal, what two things would you tell them that, that they need to hold fast to and always practice when it comes to their resiliency? Um, Putting you on the spot completely. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, the practice resiliency is just to say that, like I said, it's not necessarily the, tr- the trauma that's going to bring you down. It's how you carry it, how you deal with it. Um, it's so... It, I know good grammar, but it's so okay to reach out and talk to somebody, you know, and I always want to tell them, I don't care if you do 15 years, 30 years or 40 years. Yes, your title is firefighter, but it's not who you are. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not saying when you're on the job, you don't be the best at whatever your you know, profession is, but it doesn't, it shouldn't define who you are. At the end of the day, you know, your family and your friends are going to be there at the end of the day when you walk off that job. So you want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself so you can take care of them at the end of the day. True words. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for everything you've stepped up and done after that life experience. Um, Thank you for all the teaching you've done, and thank you for all the the road you've paved for the peer teams that are up and coming and starting to follow in your footsteps so thank you for making it better for the rest of us well thank you stephanie thank you uh for this opportunity and thank you for what you do you know having this um podcast and 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 spreading the word i appreciate it thank you chris